words God's Twitter feed. And uh, the reason I'm calling it God's Twitter feed is because uh, for those of you on Twitter, you know that Twitter are these little bursts of 140 characters or less uh, that people want to say. And when you read the book of Proverbs, it's like none of the chapters seem to really hang together. There are all these little bursts of wisdom. Just, just the one wise saying about this and then another wise saying about that. And uh, long before there was Twitter, God had his own Twitter feed, and uh, that was the book of Proverbs. Someone asked me the other day what my favorite book in all of the Bible was, and I would have to say right up there is the book of Proverbs. No book in the Bible has probably influenced me as much as the book of Proverbs. Now just a, a little bit about what a proverb is. A proverb is like, like a money-back guarantee that if you do certain things, certain things will happen. Because like the Bible will say, if you do these things, it will add years to your life or whatever. Well, that doesn't always happen, but it's a general truism. It's a general truism that if you, if you exercise these behaviors, these are the things that tend to happen if you, if you uh, obey a particular problem. So, so there are these wise sayings that are helped to help us through life and to negotiate uh, through life. And, and it's interesting when you read the book of Proverbs because the subjects that he deals with in the book of Proverbs are the very same things that we're dealing with today. Hard work versus laziness. Uh, how to find a good wife. What's it mean to be a good man? Uh, all kinds of all kinds of issues that we still are dealing with today. You know, there's a proverb in there: it's better to live in the middle of the desert than with a nagging woman in a lovely home. You, you know, all these all these great little words. None of the women are smiling at that one. You know, uh, there, there's all of these little bursts of wisdom, these little tweets from God, uh, if you will, that are that are pretty pretty important. Uh, Proverbs can change your life. Just, just immersing yourself in the book of Proverbs and learning uh, this kind of wisdom from God's Word. Proverbs is really good for young people. It's good for people of all ages. But, but the idea is that young people will learn wisdom. How many know that just growing old doesn't make us wise, necessarily? It's possible to grow older and not grow wiser. And so the, the, the purpose of the book of Proverbs is not only so that we would just grow older, but that we would grow wiser, and that we would grow more mature. Yesterday, Caden Oates had his 13th birthday, and his parents did something that I've rarely seen Christians do, but it's really cool. They kind of had a Christian bar mitzvah for him. Just kind of welcome to, he got his training wheels to adulthood yesterday. Uh, beginning manhood. He's, he's, he's in that in-between stage between childhood and manhood, and at 13 years old, and and uh, it's a great time, Cademan, to learn wisdom. And I was thinking, you know, I'm going to dedicate this sermon to Cademan, but it applies to all of us. So, Cademan, if I could, I, I always wanted to do something special for you, so, you know, I gave you that Bible, but I want to preach this message for you and uh, all of us to listen in because all of us need uh, this, this word about, about wisdom. But before we look at God's Twitter feed, I thought it would be fun just to get in the mood of, of what... Uh, Proverbs are all about to share with you some uninspired proverbs. These are proverbs not from the Word of God, but little wise sayings just so you get the feeling for what a proverb is. And so, our uh, I'm going to give you the top five uninspired proverbs. So, number five: Red meat is not bad for you. Fuzzy green meat is bad for you, right? 
Number, uh, number four, money isn't everything, but it sure keeps the kids in touch. Very good. Number three, always remember you're unique just like everyone else. Number two, keep the dream alive. It's a snooze button. And the number one uninspired driver's win opportunity not. Don't sit there complaining about the noise. Someone told me the other day that adults are like coloring these days. Anyone know about that adult coloring books and stuff? Is there an adult here that likes to color? It's hard to be weird. I have an adult coloring book from the book of Proverbs. Whoever wants it most, come get it. Do it right now. Who wants it? So we're in a day when knowledge is really, really increasing really fast, in case you haven't noticed. We, we, are, we are in the information age. Information is just, just a boom. So, so they say that if you took all of the knowledge that from the beginning of humanity all the way up to year one, and we call that one unit of knowledge, one unit of knowledge it took uh, 1,500 years from the year 1 to the year 1,500 for that knowledge to double. But something happened in the year 1,500, and that was the invention of the printing press. And when the printing press was invented, knowledge began to double faster. So in 250 more years, knowledge had doubled again by 1750. And then 150 years later, knowledge had doubled again by 1900. Uh, a study showed that by the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. And by the year 2000, knowledge was doubling every 18 months. And IBM is predicting that knowledge is going to double every 12 hours soon. I mean, it's amazing the, the age that we're in in terms of the increase of knowledge. Actually, in Daniel chapter 12, 4, one of, the, one of the hallmarks of the last days was that there would be an increase of knowledge. It said, uh, it says, seal up the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. We are living in that day where knowledge is dramatically increasing. However, sadly, while our knowledge is increasing, wisdom is not increasing with it. So we have 7 billion people in the world. 1 billion people have no hygienic way to use the restroom, for instance. One out of seven of the people living in the world. So with all of our knowledge, all of our, you know, all of our knowledge, and we've got Kim Jong-il firing off nuclear attacks where we are concerned with crazy people that could take all of this knowledge and literally destroy sections of the earth with it. Calvin Coolidge, one of our presidents, said, some people are suffering from lack of work, some from lack of water, but many more from lack of wisdom. James Howell said, some are wise and some are otherwise. Some are wise and some are otherwise. Adulthood, caveman, doesn't necessarily need to wisdom. It's not automatic. But Proverbs was written to help us 
learn how to be wise. So let's look at the opening of Proverbs up on the screen here. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, the king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. How many would like to live a successful life? Yeah, I mean, if I could show you a way today that might add years to your life and add quality to your life, you'd want to hear about that, wouldn't you? Well, the book of Solomon, uh, the book of Proverbs, promises these kinds of things. Uh, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, this is the first fill in blank. Wisdom is to help us make better choices in order to live more fulfilling lives. And so wisdom is about helping us make wise choices. We come to forks in the road all the time. We can go this way or that way. Which way should we go? And wisdom is interested in going not just a good way, but the right way. Wisdom is concerned with the consequences of our actions. The consequences of our actions. The, the, uh, there, there was a Yale professor who wrote a book, Why Are Some of the Smartest People in the World So Stupid? And his conclusion was that sometimes real smart people think they can avoid consequences, but they can't. All of us are subject to consequences for the way that we live. And so wisdom is concerned with the consequences of our actions. There's a 10-word tweet from God, a 10-word that, that I think is a great way to begin this series on Proverbs. And these 10 words could literally change your life if you unpacked them and really understood what it means and applied your life to it. And it is simply this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I, I included up on the screen Proverbs 9, 10, and 11. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And I thought this next verse, it's, it's Proverbs 9-11. I thought this was good for 9-11. On 9-11, look at Proverbs 9-11. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. So this is a basic truism, that if you apply yourself to wisdom, you can have many days, and days will be added to your life. The fear of the Lord calls us to think differently than the world is thinking. It calls us to a, a, a different view of the world. Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah chapter 8. Uh, the Lord has given me a strong warning. Now listen to this. Not to think like everyone else thinks. Don't think like everyone else thinks, he said. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one that you should fear. He is the one that should make you tremble. And then, you know, I say all that scary stuff, but then look at the very next verse. He is the one. He will keep you safe. He will keep you. What a great word for 9-11, because 9-11, the purpose of 9-11 of and the terrorists was to make us terrified, Right? That's the purpose of uh, terrorists, that, that we would be terrified. And if we're terrified, we become useless, and we, and, 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 and we don't know what to do, and we become incapacitated. And what Isaiah says to us is, 
I don't want you to be afraid of what makes them afraid. Now, now if we're going to be honest with, with each other, I would just admit that 9-11 terrified me. I mean, I remember watching the, the planes, and I, I remember the dream I had that night, and I had a dream that, that bombs were falling in my backyard, and planes were crashing and landing there was this, this sense that everything that was safe and everything that was secure, my goodness, downtown Manhattan, the, 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 the financial center of the world, that, that those twin towers were brought down was absolutely terrifying. But wisdom calls us to reflect and say, now wait a minute. The purpose of them was to terrify us, but, but Isaiah says, I want you to think differently than they do. I don't want you to be afraid of ISIS. People are afraid of all kinds of things. You know, it's interesting walking around, you know, work the last couple of days. People are so afraid that the balls were going to lose. You know, They're just afraid. You know, what would happen if my team, my life would be destroyed in Tennessee? But you know, losing this game, and, and you know, it, it's just a thing. I, I'm a fan. I, I like sports. I like when my team wins. But, but the truth of the matter is, whether the Vols win or lose, my hope is not in the Tennessee Volunteers. In, in, in the Old Testament, they used to worship a God called Baal. Now we worship a God called Baal. We really do. I mean, we put our hopes in it. We're, we're, we, we put, we're, we're afraid of what's going to happen. And we're, we're afraid of, uh, of ISIS and all of the we're afraid, you know, that the economy, is my 401k going to be there when I retire? All of those kinds of things that we're afraid of. And God says, I want you to think differently than every, everyone else. And he is the one that should make you tremble. So, so, so this, is, this is where it gets at it. And, and I know that I'm kind of plowing through tough territory today because we don't really like to think about the fear of the Lord. Because we like to sing warm, cuddly songs about Jesus as my best friend and all that kind of, and he is, and all of that's true, and all those things. And yet the scripture that we just read said, it's him that should make us tremble. So what does the fear of the Lord mean? Uh, the Hebrews had, had a couple, the, the word is Yerah Hashim, the fear of the Lord. The first meaning of fear was the fear of punishment or unpleasant consequences. The second meaning of fear was the fear of breaking God's law because we'll be punished for it in this life or the next. That's, that's the concept that karma comes from, what goes around comes around. If I do bad things, bad things are going to happen to me. If good things, if I do good things, good things are going to happen to me. But that is not the highest view of the fear of the Lord, according to Hebrew teaching. According to Hebrew teaching, and it's not in your notes, but it will be up on the screen. Um, the fear of the Lord is a profound reverence for life that comes from accurately seeing. It's a profound reverence for life that comes from accurately seeing. We're, we're in a generation where nothing is, is sacred anymore and nothing is reverent anymore. And the fear of the Lord calls us to... Behold the awesomeness of God, the wonder of God, uh, to, to see uh, what life is really about. That's what the fear of the Lord calls us to do. And it should result in 
holy affection and communion with the Holy Spirit. You know, my family just loves to joke. We love to have fun. We love to be silly and all of that kind of stuff. But we had a we had a rule in our house when our, our kids were, were were real small. We can joke about everything, but we don't joke about God. We don't joke about God. And the reason we said we don't joke about God because because there was going to be one thing in our life that we kept sacred. You know, we, we'll, we'll tell jokes. We'll we'll have all kinds of fun. We'll be silly. We'll do all. But when it comes to God, God is the and not and not because God doesn't have a sense of humor. God does have a sense. There's something about God. We want to, Him to be the one that we give our reverence to and our uh, understanding of the awesomeness of God. Is this communicating this morning? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about. Uh, some of people, when they think of the fear of the Lord, just think that God's kind of in a bad mood. He's mad at him. He's going to strike him down at every opportunity that he can. But the fear of the Lord is seen in the song that we sang this morning about the cross, that the wrath of God was put on Jesus Christ and, and the punishment for sin was placed upon him. But not only was the wrath of God there, but the mercy of God we see in there. The great love of God, that it could have been us, it should have been us, but we're deserving of punishment, but that God saved us from that. And because that, he is worthy of our affection. Fear of the Lord. Martin Luther distinguished between servile fear, like a slave who is afraid of a master, and filial fear. It's like the fear of a son has for their father. Jesus himself said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That, that, that God is the one deserving our feelings, not because he wants to judge you, but he could do it and chooses not to do it because of his great mercy for him, and therefore he deserves our fear, amen? Fear of the Lord. I, I, really, I really feel like I'm preaching a concept this morning that we're kind of missing in America today. I, I think, I think if, if, if you could say, what's happened in our country, what's happened... I, I, I was a pastor during 9-11 in Illinois. And on 9-11, what happened in our church happened in churches all over the country. And you know what that is? Churches swelled. The attendance was up. After 9-11, people came to church. Why? Because they were afraid. But, but the truth is, they weren't afraid of the right thing. They were, they were afraid, you know, what's going to happen to us? And, 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 you know, maybe God's mad at us, so we better show up to church. That kind of fear won't ultimately motivate you over the long haul. And that can scare you for a while. It can give you a little bump in the attendance. But it's not the kind of fear that, 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 that is mixed with the love of God because, uh, because how great his love for us, that even though we deserve those kind of things, he in his great mercy gave us of our sins. And, and he is worthy of our fear. You're going to fear someone, and you're going to and you're going to serve someone. You're going to serve somebody. And and Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to share this with you. Not only is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom. Listen to this. As you're taking notes, the fear of the Lord is both the beginning and the end of wisdom. What do I mean by that? 
If you fear the Lord, it will make you wise, and if you're wise, you'll fear the Lord. Solomon, Solomon had this wonderful um, opportunity where he was asked to ask God for anything he wanted, ask for riches, ask for anything you want, and Solomon uh, did not do any of that, and he opted that God would give him wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, God blessed him with riches, and he blessed him with all of these other things. But if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, which was another section in the Bible that we call wisdom literature, Solomon has had more wives, I forget how many hundreds of wives he had. He climbed the top of the ladder. He made Donald Trump look like he lived in the projects. He made a, a, a sheik look poor. I mean, he was the richest man of his day. And after reflecting on all of his riches and all of the women and all of the, everything that he ever had, he comes to the end of his life and he says something very interesting in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He says, now that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for that's everyone's duty. That's the whole duty of man, is to fear the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. Life is not going to make sense to you if you fear the wrong things. What I'm talking about this morning is outfitting you with a particular kind of glasses through which to see the world, to give you a Christian worldview. If you're going to, if you're going to begin on this journey of wisdom, it's got to start by fearing the Lord. Nothing else will make sense if you don't get that piece in place. So, so I like to be very practical. So this is a real concept, the fear of the Lord. Uh, intellectual concept that I'm sharing, and I don't want you to go home today and just feel like, well, these are this concept that Pastor taught us. I want I want to make it very practical, and I want to talk about some practices that will help you learn the fear of the Lord. What are some behaviors that I could actually do that would help me learn the fear of the Lord? Number one, I would just say immerse yourself in Proverbs. One of the best things, Caitlin, that I did as a young man, and someone told me about it, is that Proverbs has 31 chapters. And there's 31 days in a month, in most months. So take the proverb of that day and just read one proverb a day. So on the first of the month, read Proverbs 1. On the 20th of the month, read Proverbs 20. I would just encourage everyone in the sound of my voice to try that for several months. Maybe just make it an ongoing practice, a way of starting your day before you go to work. Immersing yourself in the wisdom of God. Read and immerse yourself in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is dealing with the very stuff that you're dealing with at work. About honesty and cheating and, and, and all of the all the hard work and what it's gonna, the results of it, and, and laziness and all of the results of that. So I would say immerse yourself in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 1, 5 through 7 says, Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. In the book of Proverbs, 
the opposite of, of the wise is a fool. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's got to start with the fear of the Lord. So immerse yourself in Proverbs. The second thing that I would say is consider God's creation. Psalms 8, 3 through 4 says, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care about them? We used to sing it like this, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's light I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displays. Then sings my soul, you know how it goes, how great thou art, right? Does creation make you say how great God is? You know, we live in one of the most beautiful parts of the, uh, of the country, do you just go down the road and see all those mountains and say, hey, that's cool? Or does it make you say, wow, how awesome is our God? Consider creation and let it, let it increase in you the fear of the Lord. Now, this, these next couple are going to sound like pastor. Pastor just put these in. <coughs> I'm going to share them to you from the Word of God. Number one, or the, the next one is faithfully attend weekend services. If you want to learn the fear of the Lord, go to church. You know, when uh, there was a phrase that people used to use about, about people, they're a God-fearing man. She's a God-fearing woman. Um, and one of the things that it meant to them is that they were faithful in worship. And there was a day in America when the churches were full, when the fear of the Lord was more, was more prevalent in our nation. Look at Deuteronomy 31, 11, 12. You must read the book of instruction to all the people of Israel when they assemble before the Lord your God at all the places he chooses. Call them together, men, women, children, and foreigners living in your towns, so that they may hear this book of instruction and learn to fear the Lord your God. That when we come together and worship, and that when we hear the word of the Lord together, that we are learning together to fear the Lord. So, so when, we, when, we, when we do the practice, coming to it increases the fear of the Lord. And when we fear the Lord more, it encourages the practice. It's both the beginning and the end. The next one is become a systematic giver. What does giving have to do with fearing the Lord? Deuteronomy 14, 22, and 23. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops that you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Doing this will teach you to always fear the Lord. That even in our practice of systematically giving to the Lord, that we are learning to fear the Lord. What does that have to do with fearing the Lord? Because when we give God what is first, and, and the tithe is, is not even, the, the percent is not even as important as the fact that you're doing it first. 
that God is the first one that I give to before I pay my bills, before I do anything else, that I'm giving to God first. Why is that important? Because we are saying, God, you are first in my life. And by doing so, we're learning to fear the Lord. So even in our giving systematically, we're learning to fear the Lord. And the last thing that I want to share to you is this, and uh, as the worship team has come forward, and that is that salvation comes to those who fear the Lord. Jesus comes to those who fear the Lord. Mary, in her song, in Luke chapter 1, said, He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. What, what does it mean to, to be a, a follower of Jesus and to be... Uh, to be saved. It starts, I really believe, with the fear of the Lord. Cornelius in the Bible, uh, how many have heard of Cornelius in the Bible? How many have heard of him? He was, he was the first Gentile uh, to ever receive salvation. Salvation came originally to the Jews, and it wasn't even open to the Gentiles, but the Bible said this about Cornelius. It said, Cornelius, there lived a Roman army, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. He was captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his house. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. So he was a man of prayer. He was a giver. Bible said he feared God. But he didn't yet know Jesus. But because he feared the Lord, the Bible said that God gave him a vision. And he had this vision that someone was going to come to his place. And while he's having the vision, Peter, one of Jesus' apostles, he's up on a roof and uh, he's dreaming about stuff that Jews aren't supposed to be dreaming about, like eating barbecue because they were kosher and so he's having this dream and he sees this pig and God says go kill and eat pork and the meaning of the vision was that it's not about pork he said I want you to go outside of what you thought was, was, was normal I want you to go to meet this guy called Cornelius, who you guys think is off limits. But I want to tell you something. He fears the Lord. He's got my attention. I want you to go see him today. And so Peter, even with his own prejudices of being a Jew, and we don't mix with Gentiles and all of that, he's got this dream, but he doesn't even seem like he's happy about it because he knocks on Cornelius' door and says, God told me to come. Didn't really want to. shares with them the message of Jesus and how Jesus free us from our sins. The Bible says that not only Cornelius but his whole household was saved that day they all got baptized. So I just want to say to you right now that if you're here this morning if, if, you know, maybe you're not all the way there yet. Maybe you don't know everything there is to know about the fear of the Lord, but there's something inside of your heart on the 
day after the balls game, they said, you know, there's no balls, but there's something still that's more than the balls we were in. By the way, 156,000. 156,000. So I got on Facebook last night and I invited all 156,000 to church this morning. <laughs> Son, and whoever believes in him should not 